Live. It's America's longest running talk show on computers. It's Computer America, bringing you the biggest names in technology with guest interviews, new products, and your emails. Listen live at ComputerAmerica.com on any device around the world. Email the show at live at ComputerAmerica.com or find us on social media. Be sure to check out our website for contests, giveaways, show notes, live video stream, podcasts, and more. You're listening to Computer America. Hello and welcome into the Computer America Show. We are the nation's longest running nationally syndicated radio talk show on computers and technology. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Ben Crossman, and I hope all of you had a great weekend, uh, ready for some Computer America, and uh, everything's going well. So today on the program, no guests, we have an entire hour of computer and technology news for you, where we will be talking about a number of different things, everything from the Wells Fargo hacking that happened, or I'm sorry, not even hack. I'm so used to things going wrong because uh, because other people caused them. No, this was not a hacking. This was a quote-unquote computer glitch and uh, unfortunately caused people to lose their homes. So... We're going to talk about how that happened, more from, uh, let's see, some fitness tracking from the Pentagon, Android P. P, by the way, now officially stands for Android Pi. So if you were curious about the latest Android operating system, there you have it. So all that and more at ComputerAmerica.com. And, uh, of course, today here on the show. So a couple of things before we get going, including ComputerAmerica.com. That's where you'll find everything from a uh, you know, from any links to the, that we talk about, any videos that we show, any articles that we mention. Anything and everything can be found in one place. So it's a one-stop shop. If you are busy, if you can't get to your browser right now, then don't worry, we have you covered. Uh, also, while you're there, be sure to check out the social media contest brought to you by Logitech and check out the live video feed brought to you by OWC. So uh, I think with all that being said, why don't we go ahead and just get started with uh, you know with today's computer and technology news. And again, I hope all of you had a fantastic weekend. So here we go. Computer and technology news brought to you by OWC. And I think the first story we're the first story we are going to do is actually with AMD. So AMD they announced their Threadripper 2 series. This is their second generation Threadripper and you know the first one it's uh you know it kind of threw threw up the rule book on what a high end processor could be. Sorry, what a high end uh consumer processor could be. And, you know, kind of caught uh, the incumbents by, you know, by surprise. And a lot of people, they were very impressed by what Ryzen Threadripper uh, by AMD actually did. So it was pretty cool to see AMD launch Threadripper 2 in the next couple of weeks. And we have some benchmarks. We have some numbers and we have some, you know, just what this is going to mean for the processor race. Because AMD has been, uh, you know, pushing theirs a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, they they had a couple stumbles. You know, if you're if you're looking at this purely from a uh, hardware solution, tech, uh, you know, tech minded, hopefully some kind of innovation coming from processors. Uh, that's not what we found with Intel and their i7s or even their i9s. But uh, but Ryzen seems to be really uh, upping the ante. So 
This is an article from TechSpot. You can find it again in the show notes. But uh, Rob uh, Thubrin talking about AMD says Threadripper 2990WX, if you were looking for a designation, is 53% faster than the Core i9-7980XE. So the Core i9-7980XE, if you know their designation, that would be their, uh, you know, Intel's top of the line, currently available, um, 18-core, 36-thread processor. And uh, yeah, so to claim that you have a 53% speed increase over that, that is, you know, that makes it no competition. So we have benchmarks, we have how the computers were set up, and we have their workloads and how they were benchmarked, and yeah, let's go ahead and get into this. So they said that AMD looks set to launch Threadripper 2 in the coming weeks, and if you're excited to see the, the company's second generation workstation processors are capable of, check out these Cinebench and, uh, you know, uh, Signbench, Cinebench, however you say it, that is the go-to benchmarking software used, and those scores really mean a lot. So they said that uh, preliminary performance figures show that the 32-core, 64-thread Ryzen Threadripper 2990WX processor. I I really want to emphasize that number. 32-core, 64-thread most consumers up until about you know the first time uh you know the first time threadripper came onto the scene most consumers as far as processors were concerned you were looking at 8 core 16 thread that was the extent and that's as far as intel uh you know kind of took it i think a couple of uh, of amd's would run 1224 uh, but you know, for a couple of years there, AMD was just not, uh, you know, was just not competitive in the price or the speed department. But now that seems to be flipping on its head. And yeah, so 32 core, 64 thread, Ryzen Threadripper 2990WX. And <laughs> I guess in the same turn, uh, where a consumer would expect to pay anywhere from $300, $400, maybe $500 for a new processor, this processor does not come cheap. I mean, price to performance, there's still an argument to be made for that, but if you're looking for the best of the best, $1,800 for the privilege. And they said that they were accidentally listed on AMD's France website ahead of time, and the company compares its uh, compares itself to the Intel's Core i9-7980XE. So, and also, by the way, that is their top of the top, tippy top, best of the best, and even Intel has that one listed for $2,000 flat, like, you know, maybe $1,999, whatever. But two grand, whereas this is $1,800, so $200 less expensive. So the rest of the computer consisted of a GeForce GTX 1080 graphics card, uh, let's see, 32 gigs of DDR4, 3200 RAM, uh, Windows 10, and of course, Samsung 850 Pro SD, which should be, if I'm not mistaken, uh, an M.3 SSD. So... Without, so there's your system, and all they had to do was just rip out the Threadripper, put in the Intel, and or at least build two systems with the exact same specs, except for the processor. And they said that Intel's chip may still have the edge over Threadripper 2 when it comes to gaming performance, but that's unlikely to be a concern among professionals who buy these very expensive processors for their multi-threaded performance. That's right, so a key thing to note these processors that we're talking about, from the Threadripper to the Intel uh, i9-7980 chips, things like that, as much as you like them for gaming and you think that any kind of prosumer, uh, enthusiast kind of processor would be just for gaming, no, these are workstations. These are stations that are meant to uh, encode videos or to uh, render uh render graphics and things like that you know for a graphic artist or uh, you know a movie professional someone who does something very workload graphic intensive uh, video games only take you so far so 
with that being said, you know, keep that in mind. But uh, yeah, they're talking about the workload that they would generally be put under that would utilize as many cores and threads as possible. Gaming just doesn't do that. Many video games are optimized for four core, uh, you know, maybe even eight core or eight thread, uh, you know, at the very most. And if you have 64, that's a lot of processes. That's a lot of cores and threads sitting around doing nothing. Not many people other than, again, professionals are going to look at these and say, well, what's the best? But if you are in that category and you are looking for what's going to save you the most time, because you know what they say, time is money. And yeah, if you're looking to save some time, looks like AMD Threadripper could be just for you. So they said that uh, it starts at a base clock speed of about three, about three gigahertz. Wasn't too bad. Turbo clock to about four gigahertz. Or I'm sorry, 4.2. So... That is kind of the reason why Intel would still have the gaming edge. Uh, each one, you know, each one of the cores, each one of the threads will have a maximum speed of 4.2 gigahertz. Uh, pretty good, you know. Don't get me wrong. Pretty darn good will get you where you're going very, very fast, especially if you're using a lot of those threads. But if you are using a game or you're playing a game that only utilizes three or four then you're going to want something that's closer to 5 gigahertz as opposed to 4.2, you know, just so everything, uh, you know, kind of goes faster. So they said with the now deleted tweet, uh, I'm sorry, the now deleted post from AMD France's website, they have, you know, kind of a quote here, but we'll go ahead and sum it up with the last line saying that the Intel Core i9-7980XE earned 3,335 points on achieving the benchmark while the AMD Ryzen Threadripper achieved 5,099 on average. So they said with that, you get a 53% performance boost over Intel's offering. So obviously the two are, and I did this article because obviously AMD is going to have an advantage in, in some ways. And in one of those ways is that Intel is really lacking in is this idea that people want a lot of cores, a lot of threads, and they're going to be running very processor intensive, uh, well, processes. And that's where AMD is going to shine. Does AMD beat Intel at every category? No, you are looking at a piece of the entire spectrum of uses for processors. And in this one, AMD just happens to come out ahead. Obviously, if AMD writes a post on their website, they're going to infinitely play up and highlight, accentuate, feature their performance boost over Intel. If you were to change this around a little bit and, you know, go for, again, uh, pro gamers, or if you were looking for, uh, you know, very specific use cases, because this is exactly what it is. You get this 53% speed boost in a very specific use case. Uh, Intel can do the same thing. Intel can put out numbers, put out benchmarks and tests that will show that AMD just can't compete with uh, with Intel. So, and you know, expect to see those. Uh, Intel's gonna highlight their strengths. They're going to uh, really put forward their best foot, but just know that if you are looking for, uh, you know, if you know you're going to be rendering a lot of photos or videos or you're going to be uh, you know doing things like that maybe AMD is the one to check out if you are just using it as a quote-unquote general purpose computer a lot of gaming a lot of uh, you know maybe heavy workloads maybe Intel is going to be better off for you either way but yeah I, I'm still excited because when AMD does something like this it pushes Intel to make up ground because Intel does not want to concede any part of the processor uh, market share to AMD. That Intel does not want to pull out and say, hey, uh, we just can't compete when it comes to Intel's multi-processor, uh, you know, multi-threaded performance. So good job, AMD. Intel is, you know, it, 
uh, Intel quits. That's never going to happen. So I'm happy in AMD is doing it. They're giving Intel a run for their money. And I think, you know, hey, maybe next year's offerings, uh, Intel's going to set up tech notice and say, all right, we need to get competitive in this area once again. But there you have it, and I'm sure more of these benchmarks will come out. If you are really a numbers guru, then wait until it comes out into people's systems. But in certain conditions, again, to you know, summarize the article, AMD Threadripper is 50% faster than Intel's Core i9. So pretty darn cool. And again, definitely enjoy stories such as those. So let's go from something numbery, techy, that kind of deal, to something a little bit more, I don't know, makes you mad, makes you angry, a nice visceral reaction for your, you know, for your morning. Or, wow, what time is it? Yep, afternoon, who knew? So this is a story from CNN Money talking about Wells Fargo says that hundreds of customers lost homes after a computer glitch. So you may remember at the beginning of the show, I said computer hack. I'm used to these things happening from outside forces, but this, no, is not the case. This was just poorly audited software that led to people actually being evicted and foreclosed on their houses, which is a horrible thing to do, even more so the fact that it was at the fault of shoddy software. So, and this is actually something, you know, we can broaden the conversation to not just Wells Fargo, but many, many companies across the internet that they don't have good systems in place for a human to talk to a human and reach a resolution. Because in so many cases, the people on the other end of the line for businesses simply are talking mouths for the data shown on a computer screen and don't have actual actual influence over the situation that they're conversing over. So let's talk about this one. Happened yesterday, as, uh, as far as I can remember. And yeah, Wells Fargo says hundreds of customers lost their homes after a computer glitch. Uh, CNN Money, uh, Jackie Waddles, talking about the embattled bank reveals the issue in a regulatory filing this week and said that it had set aside $8 million to compensate customers by the glitch. So $8 million, you know, that's, I'm sure that the bank reached that number by adding up the cost of everyone's mortgage that they foreclosed on. And they're going to, you know, kind of reimburse and make everything right, hopefully. But I don't think this problem is going to go away as soon as uh, as soon as they pay people back. But the same filing also disclosed that Wells Fargo is facing formal and informal informal inquiry uh, yeah, inquiries or investigations from unnamed government agencies over how the company purchased federal low income housing tax credits. Uh, the da- the document states that the probes are linked to the financing of low income housing develop, uh, developments, but does not offer further details. That would be why they were called at the beginning of the article embattled, I would suppose. So Reuters first reported on the news of the investigation and the mishandled and the mishandling of the mortgages. So we're going to head on over to the Reuters article. But uh, but yeah, they said that. Uh, and by the way, this came out on Friday. So yeah, just to be clear. So they said that the new disclosure adds to Wells Fargo's numerous uh, penalties, private lawsuits, and remediation efforts, and most stem from a sales practice scandals that has touched all of the bank's major business units. If I if I recall correctly, Wells Fargo was the one who, uh, like they had to fire like a thousand or so, you know, thousands if not hundreds. Um, or at least hundreds, if not thousands, of sales personnel who were kind of encouraged to do or sign people up for, you know, loans and credit cards and other things that they really didn't uh, want, but they were coerced into by the sales team. So they said that the eight million. Uh, so they said that uh, the eight million accrual is intended for roughly 625 borrowers, borrowers who should have qualified for a loan modification under a program the Treasury Department set up in 2009 
to help Americans who were struggling to make mortgage payments. I remember that well, 2009, rough economic time, and it looks like the system for Wells Fargo did not approve them when they should have. So an error in Wells Fargo's underwriting tool improperly excluded those borrowers, 400 of whom eventually had their homes foreclosed upon. That is just the worst. So the bank also updated disclosures on issues it had discovered in auto lending, wealth management, fiduciary, uh, um, uh, fiduciary there we go, uh, and, cust- and custody accounts, foreign exchange trading, mortgage rate lock extension add-ons, uh, products like identity theft protection, and frozen closed bank accounts. So, man, every part of Wells Fargo seems to be under scrutiny for uh, poor uh, you know, just kind of poor management of their software. So we're going to leave the, uh, you know, we're going to leave it there. And of course we're going to keep on it, follow up on it, see what happens to these people. If they get their homes back or, you know, they've received a loan that they should have, uh, you know, in a decade ago at this point, but just goes to show that. And, and as I said at the very beginning of this article, uh, there was another article that we are not going to cover, but essentially it was about AT&T having the same problem that uh, customer service is not customer service at this point. A lot of these large companies, and you can include telecoms, banks, uh, maybe even social media to, to an extent, they don't have customer service to really remediate problems they have customer service to mitigate the damages caused by shutting down or outsourcing customer service it's they don't really value you as a customer they expect you as a customer but they don't value you as a customer rather they are looking to really take do as little action as they can because if anything more needs to happen, that's effort on their part, that's staff that they need to hire, that's work hours that they need to pay for. And if they can get you to walk away from a larger problem, that's something that they are more than happy to do. Be that, again, a bank, a telecom company, anything that that they can get away with a phone tree and uh, you know just someone who is not properly trained or even given permission to handle your problem. So... We're seeing it more and more, and hey, we're going to leave that one there. So Wells Fargo, uh, all right, so this is a policy that is a follow-up to an issue that happened a number of months ago. So this is from uh, the Associated Press, Business Insider, and talking about the Pentagon just banned troops from wearing fitness trackers in war zones and on secret bases. You'd think something as common sense that this would already be in place, but this is probably after a uh, the data. Uh, and, and this is one of the funny parts. The data wasn't even leaked. So there was a fitness tracking service, uh, pretty popular, used either the phone's GPS or their own hardware. I do not recall uh, which one exactly it was, but they had a live heat map. And trust me, heat maps, are, they are a great way to show how people are, you know, kind of moving and it's a very interesting graphic. You can tell a lot from it. And, you know, in the United States, it showed a lot of major cities, had a lot of people walking, jogging, uh, doesn't matter. A lot of fitness data was coming in from Europe, America, uh, parts of Canada, you know, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, Southeast Asia places like that the interesting part though was that obviously a lot of places in africa and the middle east do not have a lot of fitness trackers because well they don't have the infrastructure they don't have the infrastructure for internet and they you know in a lot of cases just don't have the resources to uh, invest in something as frivolous as a fitness tracker yes i use the word frivolous but you get my point except for a couple of places, and again, this is in this is uh, what happened months ago. But places such as Afghanistan, admittedly, 
not a lot of infrastructure, not a lot of places people are going to go on morning walks every single day. Well, uh, there were a few places in these large, dark swaths of land that showed that were showing up like Christmas lights. They were bright, they were well-traveled, and they looked like something. They looked like a literal floor plan. A, the heat map uh, showed tracks, showed hallways, even showed rooms where data was coming in from these personal fitness trackers that the soldiers were using. So, obviously, they want to stay in the best shape that they can. Fitness trackers are not unknown here in the United States. But the data that was available to everyone through this heat map were showing the locations and floor plans of sensitive, of sensitive classified, and sometimes top-secret military bases. And while it didn't show what was going on there or anything like that, it at least gave people a look at the... Uh, you know, at the amount of traffic, at, uh, you know, at the layout, and of course that data could then be used for nefarious purposes by the enemies of the United States. So, in response, we now have this policy that bans it in war zones and secret bases. Who knew strapping a plastic GPS unit to your wrist would convey information about what you do, where you go, and why that would be a bad thing in top-secret military infrastructure. Who knew? So the memo stopped short of banning the fitness trackers or other electronic devices, which are often linked with cell phone applications that can provide uh, users' GPS details and social media. It says that technologies on on personal or government-issued devices that can pinpoint a person's location presents a significant risk to military personnel, so those capabilities must be turned off in certain operational areas. So, the military leaders will determine if their troops can use the GPS function based on the security threat in the region. Obviously, if you are in a base in the United States, that is something completely different than if you are, you know, on the front lines and you don't want... Uh, your enemies to know where you are. It's, you know, so far I have not heard of any casualties coming from wearing one of these and then, you know, uh, anyone using it to pinpoint a location to bomb or anything like that. But that's what they're worried about. They they want to keep things as secretive and hidden as they possibly can. And fitness trackers are the exact opposite of that, or at least the capabilities that they have are the opposite of that. So they didn't ban them, uh, but they did say that you had to ask your, your superior officer if you were even allowed to use them. So just as good. All right. There's that one. I have no doubt why that was put into place. That's not draconian. That's just good common sense and, uh, you know, something. And, and And by the way, the service, I believe, uh, that I was talking about was called Strava, S-T-R-A-V-A. And they even have a global heat map to kind of show. So if you're watching the video portion, you know, you can kind of see it here. Uh, again, the United States uh, lit up like crazy. You can see the major streets and things like that. Uh, large parts of Africa, you know, not a lot going on. But then you see these little uh, blips, these little highlights in places where you know you wouldn't think you'd see anything you know and again if you're watching the video portion you see what appears to be about 16 pixels uh yeah those little pixels used to be really really high quality and very accurate and since then i'm sure that the military has contacted them asking them to you know not be so accurate when it comes to uh you know, specific locations, and it looks like that they followed through with that, but in the meantime, yeah, the military is, of course, you know, looking into it. So, there you have it. Let's go ahead and get started on our next one. We're about to head off into break, and then when we come back, more computer and technology news. Let's, uh, man, this heat map is really fun, but let's go ahead and talk about... (laughs) 
All right, when we come back from break, which again will be in just a minute, let's talk about Android P. So Android P, codename for the next iteration of the Android operating system for smartphones, uh, most popular operating system uh, by far. Of course, uh, iOS and Apple, they're the largest single iteration of an operating system because most every iOS device runs the same operating system. But as far as Android goes, if you take all the pieces of Android and and uh, add them together, Android is the most popular, but it's always a struggle to get Android users to upgrade to the latest iteration. So when we come back, we're going to talk about Android P, what it's about, its features, its upgrades, and if you should bother updating to Android Pi. So everyone, Computer America, more right after this. Everyone, stay tuned. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-215-4461. 800-215-4461. 800-215-4461. That's 800-215-4461. We are all Brother Wolf. Ten years ago, a group of locals banded together to create positive change. We took animals into our homes, held adoption events at local retailers, and talked to the community about our mission to help build a no-kill Asheville. A decade later, we have achieved so many victories for animals in need. There's been so much progress, yet there's still so much to do. As part of our year-long celebration, we encourage you to become a member of our special Compassionate Circle program. With a monthly donation of $10 or more, you will have behind-the-scenes access to the work we are doing at Brother Wolf. Our goal is to reach 1,000 members because we receive no government funding. Working together, we can help build and sustain no-kill communities. Learn more at CompassionateCircle.BWAR.org. We are a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. And welcome back to the Computer America Show. It is 32 minutes past the hour as we continue on. And yeah, uh, we are about to get into the story about Android P, Android Pi, what it is, and if you need to pay attention to it. So real quick, if you missed any part of today's program, feel free to head on over to ComputerAmerica.com or wherever podcasts are heard. And you can find Computer America in its entirety rebroadcast on places such as uh, iTunes, Google Play Store, iHeartRadio, uh, and more. You know, not uh, you know if you've been paying attention to tech news lately, uh, yeah, you may have heard. Not uh, not every show gets to do that now, but we sure do. Computer America, happy to be on there, and yeah, of course, looking uh, looking forward to listening. But really, any way that you enjoy Computer America, either listening to us live on IRN or uh, you know or the podcast version, or joining us and watching us on video, any and all are the best way. So. Let's uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get started about Android P. So, this first article is talk is from Engadget, Mariella Moon. March fourteenth will never be the same again. Apparently, so March fourteenth would be Pi Day three point one four. If none of you got that, but they said that uh, the P in Android nine point stands for Pi, and it has officially arrived. You'll get an over the air update for the new platform very very soon. If you have a Pixel, since it's rolling out to Google devices starting today. And if you have a non-Pixel phone, though, you'll likely have to wait a few more months to get the software upgrade. So congratulations to anyone out there using a Google Pixel. 
you are beta testers. Not really. I'm sure it's good, but they said that uh, Google says that the device that were part of Android P beta program and qualifying Android One devices should have the update by the end of fall. The tech giant says it's working with partner manufacturers to give more people access to the platform and that most of them plan to roll out an Android 9 Pi to the devices before the year's end. So let's uh, let's see, the new, OS, the new OS will add an iPhone-like swipe-based navigation system to your iPhone. So you can swipe up from anywhere to see full screen previews of your most recent apps. It also comes with AI applications, including adaptive battery, which can save you some juice by switching off applications when you need them the least. Another feature is a predictive app system that can tell you what you want to do next. If you pull up Google Maps every morning, for instance, it will start suggesting the action in the future. So it knows what you, it knows what you do, uh, and then it tries to predict what you are going to do. Uh, obviously, if you're very unpredictable, uh, the feature won't come up that much. But if you happen to do the same thing over and over again, then yeah, this may save you a couple of swipes, swipes, presses, uh, strokes, whatever. So this fall, the platform will also include features called Slices, probably named that because it's Android Pie. And they showed that, and they said that it shows a slice of relevant information from your apps when the system believes you need it. Google will, will roll out the digital well-being apps it promised at the Google I.O. starting this fall and more. So let's see, let's see, let's see. I think we had another one. Yeah, here we go. So that one was from Engadget, this one from The Verge, and you know, we're going to combine these two. Uh, by the way, this one is, uh, yeah, again, The Verge. So we're, we're going to combine these two because this shows, at least according to the author, the five best apps for Google Pie. And, you know, we're not going to get into, you know, every single word that he says, but here we go. So he said that uh, this coming from the beta, anyone out there who used the beta should know these features, but the first one are app time limits. And again, these are all features coming to Android Pie. So they said that the biggest deal will be app time limits, where they're going to show you how much time you spend in every app. And more importantly, it's going to let you set limits on how long that you use them. You'll be able to limit yourself to a certain amount of time every day, so 15 minutes or an hour. And after that time, the app's icon will go gray, and when you try to use it, Android will not let you. Instead, a pop-up will tell you that you've hit your time limit, there won't even be a button to ignore it and let you open the app anyways. So they said that you'll be able to get back into the app if you really need to, but you'd have to go back into the settings and remove your time limit. So obviously if you set limits for yourself, you're going to be able to unset limits for yourself, but this could help people who are really, have a hard time managing their time on Facebook or Netflix or, you know, any of these other apps. If you find yourself, you know, losing hours a day, then maybe a little bit of discipline and pushing in the right direction could help a lot of people. So they said that, uh, yep. So that's, you know, again, according to the author, one of the key, uh, features, which I actually really like, I wish something, I wish Apple had something like that. Uh, I'm sure that there are ways to block apps on your phone, but time limits are certainly a new uh, take on it. They said that the next one will be fewer fewer notifications, where they said that uh, Google is trying to do even more in Android Pie to get them out of your face, where for one, it'll suggest muting an app's notifications if you keep swiping them away. But the even bigger thing now is a much beefier uh, do not disturb. So if you don't know about do do not disturb, then you need to switch that thing on every time you go to bed. It is a great way to really disconnect from your device. And yeah, they said that if you have the do not disturb, guess what? Notifications don't appear on screen at all because before for a lot of operating systems, 
it would simply just show the notification, no vibration, no uh, no noise, no nothing, but it would still show the notification. So if you had your phone screen with an eyesight, you would still notice that you would have something. Uh, Do Not Disturb actually blocks those all together. So pretty good feature, especially if, you know, hey, if you have it on, uh, let it do what it's supposed to do. All right. Uh, next one, gesture navigation. If you are used to Apple, nothing new there. Uh, screenshot editing. And this is something that Apple had as well. If you take a screenshot, you're going to be able to uh, minimize, markup, change, and otherwise uh, edit any screenshot on your phone. Pretty useful. Good feature. I like it. Uh, let's see, uh, smarter app search results, and either in either way, again, this is available for the Pixel 2 currently, and then within the next couple of months, the rest of the iDroid, uh, wow, the rest of the Android fleet should be getting the update as well. So, there you go, there's Android P for Pi, uh, looks like it's some pretty good features, some good usability features, but overall, uh, you know, nothing nothing truly game-changing, just some catching up and some tweaks. So, all right. Let's see. Let's talk about... There's, there's a couple cool stories here that I really want to get to. And so this is a rumor that has been floating around the internet for a little while. We should probably address it. And it has a lot of people worried. Because when you talk about Windows 10, most people are running it. You know, not a lot of people stuck with Windows 8 or 8.1. Uh, Windows 7 is still pretty popular, but because there was an upgrade path to Windows 10 and Windows 10 received very, very good reviews, a lot of people upgraded from Windows 7 to Windows 10. It's, I think it actually passed uh, Windows XP as the most popular operating system. It's that popular. So there was, uh, and this is an opinion piece from a website called How to Geek. They have a lot of great guides and a lot of great news and articles and things like that. Well, they wrote an opinion piece and it had a lot of great information into it. So I thought I would include it in today's show. And yeah, this has to do with the fact that, well, Windows as a service. It's what's known as Microsoft Managed Desktop, which is aka known as Windows as a service. And a lot of people saw a press release uh, revolving around this that you were able to quote unquote rent a Windows operating system. And they jumped to the conclusion that, well, this is the next phase of Windows or Microsoft's plan is to get everyone locked into Windows 10, and then they would pull the rug out from them. And if you want to continue using your your desktop, your computer, everything that you've set up, then you want to subscribe to Microsoft. And there really wasn't an alternative. Of course, you know, we talk about things like Linux, but to a lot of people out there, it would either be really, you know, rapidly learn about an entirely new operating system, or pay the subscription service. So again, the rumors were flying around, uh, you know, just what exactly this would mean for the average customer, what exactly Windows was aiming this at, who who it was for, uh, what it would actually entail, all that was up in the air, but we've gotten some further clarification since it first uh, reared its head. So, this is an optional subscription service for businesses, and that's the key word, businesses, that includes a lease of a physical PC hardware, which happens to be running Windows 10. Those businesses aren't just paying for software. So if you have ever purchased Windows 10, you know that you do pay for the operating system. Windows 10 came around and it was pretty affordable compared to some of the other earlier iterations. I believe it's still like $70, $80 for, you know, the best home one. Uh, But businesses had to get their own version that was actually pretty costly. And so what Microsoft is looking to do 
it's not looking to to replace Windows. They're looking to get get into the same game that Netflix and Hulu and uh, you know name any other subscription based services that you may subscribe to. And trust me, there are a lot of them out there. Microsoft wants to be that for businesses. Uh, you know, to put it short, they said that Windows 10 Enterprise is looking to essentially quote unquote rent Windows PCs to their customers. So instead of large corporations, think corporations that need a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand computers to give to their employees so that they can do their business. Think those, those with entire fleets of PCs. You know, this is not the individual with one, two, three, or four uh, computers out there. No, this is businesses with 100, 500, 1,000, or more. And instead of that business eating the cost of, and, and, and trust me, this is a huge problem for businesses. Instead of the business eating the cost of purchasing Let's just say a thousand, a thousand computers, buying a thousand Windows licenses, paying IT staff to uh, to maintain, update, up, upgrade, uh, troubleshoot those one thousand computers, and then at the end of it all, throwing away a thousand computers and buying completely new hardware at the end of it. That's a cycle that costs so much money, it actually leads to businesses avoiding some of the, you know, some of the key steps. And that's why you have banks. That's why you have Fortune 500 companies falling behind when it comes to computer safety. You know, not having the latest operating system because, well, their current set of computers that they don't want to pay to upgrade just can't run them. This is a pretty obvious next step for windows windows wants or uh, uh, microsoft wants windows to be up to date all the time and the best way to make sure that that happens is that the hardware that these companies are running can upgrade all the time so they and you know continue on with the article for a bit and then we'll get it back into why this is actually a good thing for businesses saying that uh it's just for business, but Microsoft plans to charge average Windows users a monthly fee for Windows 10 too. Uh, people have been worried about this ever since Windows 10 and the concept of Windows as a service was announced, and that if it's a service, surely Microsoft will start charging for it at some point. Think Office 365, you know, as opposed to Microsoft Office, uh, you get Office 365 for you know X amount of dollars a month. Well, the author says he's not so sure, saying that right now, PC manufacturers pay Microsoft for Windows 10 licenses, and every time you buy a PC, Microsoft gets a cut from the manufacturer. And if you build your own PC, you have to buy a license. It's a system that's worked well for Microsoft. So he's saying that the alternative just doesn't make a lot of sense, saying that uh, many people would abandon Windows PCs for, for surprisingly capable Chromebooks, while others would cling to Windows 7 for dear life, and Microsoft just can't afford to do this. So, yeah, again, in, in the consumer world, it doesn't make a lot of sense to do Windows 10 as a service. But, here we go. Uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, get back to the point of why this is a good optional service for businesses. Instead of businesses eating the cost of, uh, you know, again, maintaining, buying, uh, selling, upgrading, all of that would be pushed off to Microsoft. And if Microsoft is able to do this in large enough numbers, then they can actually save a lot of money as opposed to corporation after corporation after corporation because they have, well, the economics of numbers. They can work on a lot more systems a lot easier than each company individually. So if you wanted to pay Microsoft a certain amount, and don't get me wrong, in certain situations, it may make perfect sense 
to buy a Windows system, hire an IT staff to maintain it, and get rid of your fleet after X number of years. At a certain level, it may actually save you money to do this all in-house. But there's a lot of medium-sized businesses. I'm sure there's going to be price tiers for lower-end businesses that it will only make sense to rent a computer from, from Windows and then give it back at the end of your rental period and you are out whatever you rented the money for, but you would have saved overall as opposed to you know providing these services yourself. So they said that uh, after all, and yeah, they said that if you don't like it, you can continue buying a box copy of the latest uh, version of the operating system. But overall, the people worried that this is going to be, you know, business businesses today and consumers tomorrow. There's just too many variables for Windows to actually implement this into any kind of sustainable model that won't freak people out or drive people away from Windows. They have a very dominant grip on the personal computer marketplace. But if they start to act really draconian, technology has not been on their side. Microsoft is not the only one developing an operating system. uh, And with enough incentive, with enough uh, stick beatings, guess what? People will go elsewhere. So Microsoft not looking to bring Windows as a service to consumers, but for businesses, I think this is actually a very cool idea. We've talked about a a system very similar to this when it came to cars, as opposed to every family owning a car. Instead, you get access to a network of, of a fleet of cars that are maintained by the company. That makes, and you know, we're talking about you know larger systems instead of a thousand families owning uh, a thousand different cars. The same work can be done by a hundred cars being available to a thousand families whenever they need them and all them being maintained. So it's a system. It's been proven to work. It can save people a lot of money and still, uh, you know, still waiting to see, to see some price points, but may prove to be very, very useful for a certain clientele. Again, not consumers and people or, you know, consumers will not be the ones who will be using windows 10 as a service. All right, there's that one. Let's go ahead and talk about, this one's pretty cool. So while I don't play Dota 2, Dota 2, Defense of the Ancients 2, a game by Steam, or at least I should rather say Valve, uh, pretty pretty complicated. Still one of the most competitive games out there, right next to League of Legends, if you follow that scene as well. But when it comes to... When it comes to bots, uh, I've played a couple of bot games on League of Legends, which again I'm gonna you know kind of use interchangeably here, even though the story is about Dota 2. Uh, bots were only able to keep up with individuals when it came to uh, you know kind of giving uh, automated programs that would control character just like a human would. Uh, the only time that they would be competitive were when the bots were wildly over uh, overpowered you know they were giving they were given special advantages that the human characters just weren't that's where you run into this article and this yes it does involve uh it does involve elon musk a little bit but they said about a month and a half ago open ai showed off the latest iteration of dota 2 bots which had matured to the point of playing and winning a full five-on-five game against human opponents, and that those official—I'm uh, sorry, those artificial intelligence agents—learned everything by themselves, exploring and experimenting on the complex Dota playing field at a rate of 180 years per day. So they were able to make a full five-v-five artificial intelligence team, pit them against each other, and not just you know kind of recreate situations where they would play the games themselves but then they would make copies of themselves over and over and over and over and over and over again again to the point where they were playing essentially 180 years of game time in a single day that means that it 
for you to get as good as these bots were, you would have to play 180 years every single day. Obviously, that's what it means. So today, though, the so-called OpenAI 5 truly earned their credibility by defeating a team of four pro players and one Dota 2 commentator in a best-of-three series. Man, pretty darn cool. Because, you know, and we've talked about how far artificial intelligence has come. Uh, machine learning, if you want to put another name to it. We covered it when chess became, you know, the first chess playing computer beat the world chess champion. Uh, when AlphaGo beat some of the best uh, Go players in the world. And each time this happens, it's a level of complexity up. It's... You know, chess has a certain number of outcomes and moves and plays and probability. Uh, you know, checkers to chess, chess to go. You are looking at infinitely more possible solutions. You know, to the point where, take Go for instance. Uh, before it, we didn't think that a computer was going to be a Go player for years yet. Because if, if you were going to brute force a computer into considering the best move out of three trillion possible outcomes, it was going to it was going to take that computer too long to figure it out, and it just wouldn't be viable. We figure it, we have figured out a way around that, and now from Go, which is a board game, you know, no way around it, but to go to a MOBA, uh, a massive online battle arena. It's adding a level of strategy and reaction time and more that uh, you know just shows that AI is getting really, really uh, complex. So, of course, there were a few conditions to make the game manageable for the AI, such as a narrower pool of heroes, only 18 out of 100 plus, and an item delivery couriers that are invincible. Because, you know, the computer could ask for an item, wait for the item, and if you were to kill the courier, then the computer would not, you know, be able to get that item and it would get stuck in a kind of rut. But they said that, but those simplifications did little to, to detract from just how impressive an achievement today's win was. Where the OpenAI uh, team won against well-known Dota personalities and all of them former professional players Alongside the current pro player, uh, you know, and all these names are right there. I don't follow the pro scene, unfortunately. But uh, they sum up the despondency felt by the team human after the bout neatly saying that, quote, never felt more useless in my life, but we're having fun at least. So I think we're winning in spirit. Sure ain't winning in game. Sure aren't winning in game. So, yeah. For pro players who play this constantly and unendingly, for them to say that they feel powerless, that's, uh, that's, that's quite an achievement. So the developers of OpenAI noted that OpenAI 5 were losing to amateur players within their team back in May. And by June, AI had matured enough to defeat casual players. And now it's able to, it's capable of overwhelming people who've been playing Dota 2 literally since its inception. So the next goal for the rapidly evolving AI is to take the very best Dota 2 players and and uh, and that's where the best teams will compete for the grand prize of the 2018 Dota 2 championship and one of the sideshows will be a contest between them and Open AI 5. Why this matters? First of all, uh you know, obviously AI that is improving we talk about AI in video games, that's something, but you know, extrapolate that to AI that are able to read situations, expect what they're going to do, uh, you know, make, uh, make decisions with, in, with incomplete information and just otherwise adapt to situations on a moment-to-moment -moment basis and apply that AI to self-driving cars, apply it to... Uh, you know, uh, any kind of navigation software, apply it to the stock market where AI is going to be, uh, you know, processing information to then make informed buying decision, uh, decisions. That's where it's really cool. But the other part, which I'm kind of excited for, is what happens when esports, the idea that uh, video games are a type of sporting event, 
what happens when those are taken over completely instead of human versus human, but by AI versus AI team? Is that even fair? Is that is that fun to watch? Who knows, but it's a possibility. In the meantime, the music means that we are just about wrapped up here. Everyone, thank you for joining us so much for uh, you know have you know for having Computer America on today. If you are listening to us live on IRN, if you are watching the video portion or listening to the podcast, you are all the best, and we thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to catch us tomorrow. Should be Gamer Tuesday, and uh, everyone looking forward to it. Until next time, everyone, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.